As we begin this morning, I want to reiterate something from the announcements. Um, every Sunday afternoon, uh, if you're connected with our emails, and particularly the text portion of it, but if you're just email, you'll get it too. Uh, there's a request every Sunday afternoon for prayer requests from within the congregation. It's given me great joy to watch people respond back and recognize that when you send in a prayer request, you have a whole team of people within our congregation who are praying, who are excited about that God's best would be worked out in your life and in your neighbor's life, and they're going to pray. And so it's exciting. In fact, I feel like last week's list was quite a lot to keep up with if you saw it. Um, and even the last couple weeks, if you're trying to pray through that, um, it takes some attention, but I'm thankful that we have a team of people, our congregation, that will do that and pray for one another. Um, I'll give you an update because I'm thankful for your prayer this week. Uh, Elia, our middle daughter, was at, at Children's Hospital all week uh, and is home. It wasn't COVID, uh, just so we're clear on that. Um, she's home. She's recovering. Um, it's taking some time, but uh, we're thankful that she's home, and I'm thankful very much for your prayers and people who reached out to find out how we were doing. Um, that's how it's supposed to work in the church, and I'm grateful that we're a place that will do that. So thank you very much. Um, let's read our text today. Uh, we're starting a new series, Matthew 6, starting at verse 19 uh, through 21. We're going to work our way all the way through verse 24 uh, in, the ver in the month of November. So uh, 19 through 21 is what we'll be on today. Jesus said this. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me start with a, a subjective fact as we begin this morning. Tomatoes taste awful. It's just the truth, in my opinion. Now, that's a, become a well-known fact with people that know me. I just don't like tomatoes. I taste them three times a year. I try. They just don't taste good to me. Um, but, but people run with it. I think it's funny that people will hand me tomatoes during the summer and things like that. And my family eats them. I like growing them. Actually, I think it's one of the most satisfying things to grow them and pick a tomato. Like, it's really satisfying to pick it off the vine. I just don't want to eat it. But I, I, the other people in my family do. But it's funny because sometimes then people will give me tomato gifts over the years, kind of like to, to jab me a little bit. Most of those gifts don't stay around the house long because I don't need them. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to food and food like that, it's, tomatoes are healthy. Um, and I try and eat them in their sugared up form because they taste better that way. But it's no mystery that you are what you eat when it comes down to it. You know, I was reminded this week that if somebody eats too much beta carotene, you know, uh, uh, carrots and that kind of thing in their, their life, they can turn a little bit yellow. If you actually ate too much of it, your skin could turn color. We know that you are what you eat. We know that because we're choosy sometimes about what comes in. You know, the classic line, if I don't want to eat that, it'll go to my hips kind of thing. Um, what goes in makes a difference. If we want to be healthy, we eat healthy food, and uh, we understand that reality. It works that way with other things in life too, though. It, it works out that you are what you love uh, at, as well as you are what you eat. I think it's interesting that we can get uh, engaged with a lot of things in this life that we can enjoy greatly. I think people choose dogs that tend to reflect their personality or even their look, if you've ever noticed. Um, it happens in our family. It happens in any family. I think that people obsess about things 
They get excited about collections. They get excited about their interests. And those consume sometimes a healthy amount of their time and sometimes an unhealthy amount of their time. I remember years ago uh, going around uh, Lincoln with my dad. We were uh, in model train stuff. Going to model train, uh, you go to people's homes and see their train sets, which was a load of fun. There was a guy that seemed to get it at the, the set before us every single time. He just got there about five minutes before us, talked about the exact same thing at every single house. It was the only thing on his mind. He was obsessed about this thing. We could easily obsess and become the thing that we love if we focus our attention solely on that thing. So on the positive side, if you love God, in theory, you should be becoming more like God. Virtue. If you love yourself in an inappropriate manner, too much, selfishly, you become less like God. Vice. You are what you love. It's important to choose a love that lasts. A love that's real. All through November, we'll be looking at just this short passage from Jesus. And uh, we have one guest speaker coming in too. Because part of this has to do with love of things, love of stuff, love of money, and where your heart is. And we have somebody coming in talking about uh, uh, generosity in the midst of that too. Because that's part of it. The, the outward flow of reflecting uh, your love of God in that way. Jesus challenges us to make God our first love throughout this and many other texts. And part of the reason for that is God has designed us to be healthy, body and soul, inside and out, top to bottom. And to be healthy, our love must be rightly directed in this life and rightly used once it's rightly directed. Right? Otherwise, we have relational distance that occurs between us and the, our first love, or who should be our first love, and a relational distance that occurs between who he's created in this life, and it does real soul damage over time. God has designed us to be healthy and to be in love with him first and foremost and reflect that. So Jesus says, if we go back to verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The structure of the passage, I think, is so simple and profound. It, it preaches itself in a sense, do not do this, but do this. And then the do nots are at the end of that statement. He reverses the whole thing in just two simple statements to make his point. There's repetition there's sort of a parallel nature to it, but he, he just changes a couple words and reverses what people think. Now, I will make a, a note about the words because many of your translations, instead of having vermin, might have the word rust there. Both work. The word that's behind that there in, in the Greek is a word that it essentially means food, but it means food being consumed and in a negative sense, when it's used in a negative way like this, it's food as if consumed by a worm. That's kind of the thing. But also within that range of meaning is something that's corroding, right, rather than something that's rotting. So rust fits just as well. So if you really want to get the strength of the passage, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth or moth and vermin and rust. Just put them both together, jam together, destroy. You're not adding to the text. You're getting the fullness of the text that way. But when it comes to love of stuff, like Jesus is talking about, we can, we can kind of hear a couple different things. 
One is that we, we live in a world where people do put their stock and their hope in things quite often. We put our hope in our collections and our stuff. You know, we can have a, an overemphasis of the importance of everything from a ceramic plate collection to your stock portfolio. We can like things and stuff and money in this world. We can also, uh, for those I think that follow Jesus Christ and have been doing it for a long time, can, can kind of go and take this passage a little too far in the other direction. That is to say, we can completely dismiss stuff. That Jesus is saying stuff is unimportant. He's not saying that. Right? We, can, we can feel that we can't enjoy the stuff that we have in this life. We can, we can say that because sometimes we're thinking our heavenly hope, which is what Jesus is talking about, our heavenly hope is so high, the stuff doesn't matter at all. And there's truth to that. And we can even then, that can get compounded by our, I think, right feeling of, um, of the, the needs of the world and the poverty around, the extreme poverty and people around the world who don't have, who lack the basic necessities of life. And we put that all together and we think, well, I can't enjoy the stuff I have because my hope needs to be here and people need help because they don't have stuff. We need to help people that don't have stuff. Absolutely, they don't have the necessities in this life. But we don't want to take it quite that far because Jesus isn't saying stuff itself is bad. We don't want to go that direction. It's okay, in fact, to have stuff and to have savings in this life. Jesus is not saying that, that it's not okay to have those things, right? Stewardship is talked about of what God has given is talked about throughout Scripture. From the very beginning of Scripture, I created this, God tells us, take care of this. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. We're supposed to take care of this. God owns it all. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We're supposed to manage it. We have things in our possession, good things. God has providentially, in some cases, given us those things. It would be wrong to not take care of those things well. We're supposed to be good stewards of what God has given. Secondly, it's okay to have savings and to have money or those kinds of things that we've saved so that we have planned for a rainy day or to be financially smart or retirement. It's not bad to have those. There are a number of Proverbs that talk about, think of the ant who's saving up so that they can make it through the winter, leaving an inheritance for your children, as in Proverbs. You can think about uh, God when he's working with the Israelites after he's released them from bondage in Egypt, and they're wandering through the desert, and he gives them manna. And even on Friday, he says, I'm going to give you a double portion so you don't have to work on the Sabbath day and pick it up. He gives them savings. Right? It's okay to have a financial plan for your future, basically. Jesus isn't saying don't do that. And we can even enjoy the stuff that God has given us in this life. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. As John Stott points out about this passage, he really says what Jesus forbids his followers is the selfish accumulation of goods. Right? That that's where we're putting our hope. It's not the stuff that's the problem, it's the heart of the issue and where our heart is aimed with the stuff in this world. And so while it might seem kind of straightforward, the question of what do we store up or where do we put our belief and, and faith seems like it's summed up pretty well, but I think if we 
poked behind it a little bit, we might see a little more that Jesus is getting at. In the days of Jesus, you know, we might interpret this quickly and think money. In the days of Jesus, the reason he's talking about moths destroying and vermin or rust destroying is because people's wealth wasn't so much in a pile of money. And it certainly wasn't in numbers in a bank account uh, for most people. In fact, it was far from it. For most people, it was clothing and food and your household goods and your livestock and the house itself. Right? That, that was your wealth. That was what you had. So he's, he says, don't put your faith in that stuff. Wonderful as it is, useful as it is, necessary in some cases as it is to live through life. We would easily just say money in our day and age. Of course, we could add all the kinds of stuff that come along with that. Uh, but, but part of what's behind that is don't, don't put your hope in the stuff and all your hope in the ability to make the stuff or to earn the stuff. It's, your hope isn't in your ability to do it either. That's just as important behind the stuff itself. You know, I, I think the stock market is fascinating. I follow stocks. I, I find it interesting. Um, I don't do a lot with it. I just think it's interesting. And, and just even with, with watching where they go and how they fluctuate and people's attitudes, and that's really all it is, right? It's attitudes. It's what they think is going to happen is what they're making a decision on, not what's actually happening half the time. Um, I can see how people could get really hooked on that and really base their lives on it and in some facts even take their lives based on what's going on. Wrong as that is. That's not an appropriate action from that. But sometimes it can, it can command our attention too deeply. I can see that. And our ability to manipulate it and get it and earn it and do. But I would say behind that as well, what, what stuff can do and what our focus on that can do is it can increase our level of anxiety and worry tremendously. And we then put our hope in the power to solve things in our lives and hope that doesn't belong there. So we put our faith in our ability and our power too often over God's provision and hope is what happens. When we put our faith in stuff and when we put our faith in our ability to get the stuff and keep earning the stuff and keep bringing the stuff in and keep maintaining the stuff. And it's a self-perpetuating problem the more we put our hope in that because at no point does a person who's greedy get less greedy with more stuff, do they? That just perpetuates that within them. At no point does a person then who's anxious about maintaining and building and growing the stuff that they have get less anxious over that. No, there's always new fuel that you can put in the fire of worry. You can always worry about more things. The stuff doesn't solve the problem, and getting more stuff doesn't solve the problem, and putting your hope there will never satisfy. And you can see this on display, I would suggest, in some of our younger generations right now, as they have access to more information, access to more stuff, to food, to money, and they're more anxious than ever. Because stuff doesn't satisfy. We can't put our hope in stuff. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something eternal. Over this uh, period of COVID, where we've been had all kinds of different ranges of stay-at-home orders and all that, back in, I think it was April, when everybody was stocking up on toilet paper. Remember the days? We were too. And uh, we, we decided to 
just do the experiment that some other people had done. And so we put one row of toilet paper in the hallway and had one half of the family on one side, half on the other side with dog treats and had the dog run and jump over it. Then two rows had the dog jump over it. She made it to seven before we ran out of toilet paper, right? This is the kind of stuff people were doing when we were all stuck at home. You remember the days. During COVID stay-at-home orders, as we've been home and were home even more back then, there was a sense in which as people had uh, less work in some cases to do at home, uh, but they were still in some cases getting paid to be at home, or school work was getting done faster or whatever, or getting ignored more, one or the other, there was a sense in which there was more freedom for a short while. You could kind of get the work done and then you had this free time and you, ha you could do stuff. But eventually, if you notice, people watched their way through Netflix. Now there's even a button on Netflix, if you have it, that says, have us choose it for you. And I think that's a ridiculous button, but um, have us choose it. You've watched everything. You see, stuff is fun for a while, but it's not sufficient to satisfy your human soul. At some point, we get bored with it. You always got to find new stuff. It's just not sufficient. Do not store up for yourselves stuff and try and put your hope in it, Jesus says. If you go to verse 20, Jesus says, instead of do not, he says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy. See how he brought that in? And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But do store up for yourselves. The only way to have a healthy soul is to put your hope in the right thing. Stuff is never going to satisfy. Jesus but uh, doesn't just tell us, though, to not uh, to do this some other day. Store up for yourselves for some other day this treasure in heaven. Jesus challenges us to love God, but he challenges us to love God today. To do it now. There's an urgency to it. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We could simply also say, for when your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not to be stored up for some other day. It's to be active today, that your hope would be active in the living God now. You see, our attachment to self is strong, and it will always try and pull us away from God. It's always tugging at us. And to love God first, we must let go of our attachment to the stuff. Right? The stuff itself isn't bad, necessarily. It's our attachment to the stuff that's the problem. While Jesus does uh, talk to the rich young man and say, you know, sell everything, that may or may not be the antidote for all of us to let go of that attachment. Maybe it is for you. But in many ways, we just need to learn what letting go looks like and practice it beginning today. I will tell you that uh, in my own life, paper is my nemesis for whatever reason. When it comes into my office, I'm horrible at filing it. I don't know what to do with it. And the little scraps of paper that I write notes on, uh, I feel like I need to hold on to them forever and ever, even though I'm done with the note. I don't know why this is. I'm trying to get over it. But having all that clutter around, now the books aren't cluttered, just so you know. If you walk into my office, you'll see books. I'm always looking at different books and trying to figure it out. That's not clutter. The paper is. And, and that mental clutter really slows you down. It really weighs you down to have all of that around. And I've discovered that uh, if I have something important, I can scan it and get rid of it 
and then I still have it if I need it. But I've also discovered that even those things weigh me down. I don't need to save most of it. I just need to get rid of it. It just needs to go. I don't need it. I don't need it for a rainy day. I don't need it for six months from now. I just don't need it once I'm done with it. And I need to part with it. And there's a relief and a weight that's lifted when we do that with stuff. And I know you can watch numerous Netflix shows on getting rid of stuff and all that. And sure, do that this afternoon. But let me just tell you two things that, that are worth it, worth considering. And they're super simple as we consider letting go. So our hope isn't in stuff. The first one is, and these are tangible things. Uh, the first one is box it up and hide it. If you're like me, we used to do this with our kids uh, when the stuffed animal collection got so big uh, that, and most of them are not attended to, um, they find themselves in a plastic bag in the garage for a while. And then if nobody's brought it up for a while, guess where they go? Away. We need to do that with stuff quite often in our lives. We have a lot of stuff that we hold on to that we don't need to hold on to. And whether we realize it or not, it weighs us down. It tugs at us away from our first love. And we end up loving this stuff too much. Box it and hide it and get rid of it. And if, if that's, for some people, I know that's a huge step to get rid of it, have a friend get rid of it for you. <laughs> the other thing is, just don't buy it. Just don't bring it in, in the first place. You know, if the junk food doesn't come in the house, guess what? We don't eat it, right? If you don't buy it, you don't eat it. If you don't accept it, you don't use it. Um, I, as a pastor, uh, occupational hazard is we tend to love books. I think they're great. I have them all over the place. But I'm far more discerning at this point in life when they start coming into my door, when people want to hand me books and give me books. I'm like, I don't need the book. Just don't let it come in. Don't let the junk food get into your life that way so that we have the stuff that we have to get rid of. Prevent it in the first place. Then we don't love it. Because you are what you love, and you need to choose a love that lasts. That's what Jesus is telling us. God has designed us to be healthy, body and soul, top to bottom. That's why we would choose that love that lasts. That's how we're designed. We're intended to love God first, not stuff. Stuff is only to help us in this life, and we can't enjoy it. But to love it is to do the wrong thing with it. Because when we don't have that love headed in the right direction, directed in the right way, it pulls us down. It causes soul damage. And that's not what God wants for us. We're going to go to the table at this point. And I hope you see at the table as we're there together that that's the demonstration of God's love for us through Jesus Christ, that he wants that love to occupy our thoughts and our lives first and foremost.